Well, good morning. Uh, we're about ready to start. I guess the Indians are still coming. <laughs> Just wanted to again uh, bring you up to uh, date in terms of materials for. Normally speaking, when we run the seminar, we uh, take uh, quite a few hours with it, and so that's what we're doing is part one, part two, part three, part four um, on getting decisions. And the reason for that is that the, the, the greatest difficulty that people have who are gospel workers or witnessing is how to get that decision. People give studies, 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 etc. Uh, but it's getting that decision that becomes a critical point, and that's where the weakest point is. Not just uh, among lay people, but among ministers. And because of that, um, I wrote this book entitled uh, Gaining Decisions of Christ. I don't know how many of you are acquainted with it. The new book that just came out is Great Stories. Uh, this is on illustrations for appeals. In other words, people uh, have asked me, a lot of my pastors that graduated from Mission College uh, and other pastors have said, will you get appeals, stories, illustrations for appeals? And so what I've done is I've, I've put together a lot of the appeals that I have used uh, in, uh, in my sermons, the stories and the appeal. So it's it's divided up by the different doctrines that we preach. In other words, if you are going to speak about the mark of the beast, what appeals do you use for the mark of the beast? You're going to speak about the Sabbath, what appeals do you use for the Sabbath? You're going to speak about the state of the dead, what appeals do you use for the state of the dead? And so I have stories that harmonize with those particular subjects and the particular uh, appeals story. <clears throat> for example, I just opened right here, and if you can see here, it has appeal. Can you see that? So uh, the story, and then it follows the appeal, okay? For example, state of the dead. Uh, you've just presented the state of the dead. Now you're going to make an appeal, okay? And here's the story. A visiting pastor, who, is, who was me, of course, was inviting, uh, invited by a doctor uh, to go in, on a visit with him. Since you're with me, I would like you to present the study to my client, suggested the doctor. On what? Responded the pastor. I'll let the Lord lead you. When they arrived at the house, it was obvious that this family was financially comfortable. When they entered into the home, there was a, quite a spread prepared for them. The husband invited them to the table, and after the repast, which means after the meal, they were led to the living room. After a few words, the doctor announced that his visiting friend would be leading out in the study. The pastor, still pondering with what subject he should begin, started into the scriptures. It wasn't long before they were deep into the subject of the dead. As the topic continued to the conclusion, the lady started crying. How did you know? She asked. How do I know what? Responded the pastor. Did you tell him? Pointing at the physician. No, I didn't tell him anything. The doctor said. Then how did you know? She asked the pastor again. 
I didn't know, but obviously God did, responded the pastor. Then she said, I have been living in torment of death all my life. I can't sleep unless the lights are on. Then oftentimes while sleeping, I have terrifying nightmares that I'm dying. I awake drenched in sweat. I have been so terrified that I fear to go to sleep. And then she said, oh, how thrilling to know the truth. At last, I can sleep in peace. And yes, two days later, she joyfully announced to the doctor and pastor, I have had such wonderful sleep for the last two days. Okay, that's the story, right? The appeal. The Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is to say the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Listen. Have you been in torment over the subject? Have you been tortured by the thought that you would end up in some dark, dreaded abyss? Perhaps you have been confused as you've attended a funeral, and the attending minister declared, may he rest in peace. Yet, they proceed to declare the person to be walking into the pearly gates, or perform a mass to extricate the dead out of purgatory. Tonight, we see that it is Jesus who has the keys of death. The scriptures declares, he that has the Son, have life. He that have not the Son, have not life. Oh friend, will you put your destiny in the life giver's hand? Remember, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you want life? Will you accept the life giver? Okay, so, so you understand what's happening here. So I do, I do the story, and then what? The, appeal. the actual wording of the appeal, because a lot of people don't know what to say in the appeal. Is that true? Yeah. Have you come to that place where you want to make an appeal, you don't know what to say? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's why I put this book together for that purpose. And they're for sale today? Yeah, they're for sale today. They just, they just came yes, last, last evening. And for those of you who may have questions on music, my wife and I wrote a, a book on notes on music. How many of you are acquainted with this book? Okay, most of you are not. Uh, perhaps I should tell you, uh, my wife was a former concert violinist in New York City under the direction of Maestro Halas, who was the assistant of Toscanini, uh, Bruno Walter, and those of you who don't know what that is, uh, Toscanini. Any of you have heard of Arturo Toscanini? All right, great, great conductor. Uh, Maestro also was the uh, professor at Juilliard School of Music. Have you heard of Juilliard School of Music? He was also the founder and director of the New York Opera Company in New York. So my wife was his concert master. For those of you who know something about classical music, you know that's pretty high. For those of you who don't know anything about classical music, you say, well, what's that? Okay. Then, of course, I spent time in show business, eight years in show business, performing with several groups, uh, and uh, one group that you might know is Bill Hale in the Comets. Remember that group? Yes. 
How many of you remember that group? Rock Around the Clock, you remember that song? Yeah. Huh? You know about it. You know about it. Okay. Uh, you heard of uh, Happy Days, that's that uh, TV show? The theme song was Rock Around the Clock. So that was the, the group. And the reason I'm saying that is because we put our two experiences together, compared what music does from this side and from that side, and decided to write a book to warn people about the reality that music has terrible effects on, on you even though you don't realize it. In fact, in my pocket, one pocket or the other, uh, I just got an article that somebody gave me on how the military is using rock and roll music. How many of you have heard of that story recently? Okay, But it's not new to me because I knew about it before since I studied music, that the military actually uses music to disorientate people and torture them actually with music. Did you know that? And so. It's there. Another little book I've written is on bottomsome disturbing Bible passages. It's very small, and the reason it's small is so you can carry it in your pocket. Okay, so you have to have good, good eyes. Uh, but I have a hundred texts here that sometimes people have difficulty understanding. Sometimes people throw a text at you and you don't know how to answer it. Uh, it's, it's lined up from Genesis to Revelation. So if they throw a text at you that you don't know how to explain, you can turn to that and uh, find it and give the answer. Okay? So. Is that on general topics? What's that? Is that on general topics, did you say? This one is on all topics. In other words, all, all, they're not, I, I shouldn't say it's exhaustive because there are a lot of texts in the Bible that may be difficult to explain. But I've done it basically with a lot of what you call doctrinal issues that are out there. Uh, when you deal with Baptists, Pentecostals, Jehovah's Witnesses, etc., Mormons, uh, people who have take texts out of context and try to use them to prove their particular point, um, you can show from the scriptures that what they're actually uh, are doing is resting the scriptures because the text doesn't say what they say it says. It says something different. Okay, so that's what 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 it does. Uh, let's have prayer together. I'll give you a demonstration, and then we can go on to the subject. Our Father, thank you for the time that we have here together. We ask that you bless us now, and thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me give you a demonstration of a text, for example. Uh, one time I was there with a Mormon who threw a text at me, and that text had, had to do with uh, the Peter's writing concerning that Jesus went down to speak to the prisons, spirits in prison. Are you acquainted with that? Yes. Okay. So, I then broke down the verses with that Mormon, and uh, I said, so you believe that this text supports the idea that, that people are spirits in prison? He said, yes. I said, let's look at that text and see. Do you have your Bibles, by the way? You want to look at it? Would you like to take a look at it? Okay. This class is not on difficult text, but... Uh, I thought it'd be well just to let you know that there are answers, <laughs> okay? And you can well understand what, when you come to Mission College, uh, we spend a lot of time going through a, a lot of these things. Okay, that's in First Peter, the book of First Peter, and it's chapter 3, and it starts with verse 18. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Are you there? Notice that verse 18 says, For Christ also 
once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Okay, so when Christ died, he descended down to this area where spirits are kept prisoners, and he preached to them. Okay, that's what they say. You understand? But if you, if you read it carefully, what's that? Yeah. In the book, do you also like, uh, show how it's taken out of context as well? Huh? In, in that book, do you show how it's taken out of context? That's correct. That's correct. So let me show you what, what, the, uh, what it's actually saying, right? First of all, it's speaking about Christ, correct? And it says he was quickened by the Spirit. Okay? Can you see that? Mm-hmm. And verse 19 starts with what word? By, and then what's the next word? Which. By which. What does that mean? By the Spirit. By the Spirit, right? So Christ was quickened by the Spirit, and then by which also, notice it said, by which also. By which, by the Spirit also, he went to preach unto the spirits in prison, when, verse 20, which were sometimes disobedient when once long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Noah. So when was this preaching done by the Spirit? In the days of Noah. Exactly. Now why does it use the term spirits in prison? Because the Bible refers to human beings sometimes with that word spirit. But more specifically, it uses the term prisoners as those who are in bondage of sin. Uh, For example, if you have your Bible again, look at Isaiah 42 verse 7. Isaiah 42 and verse 7. Somebody want to read that to me. Isaiah 42 and verse 7. And then somebody look up Psalms 142 verse 7. Psalms 142 and verse 7. Okay, who has Isaiah 42 verse 7? Go ahead. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and then that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Okay. So what is that speaking about? Spiritual blindness. People who are blind, spiritually? Blind. What are they called? Prisoners. Okay. Prisoners of darkness and sin. All right. Who has Isaiah? I mean Psalms 142 verse 7. Okay. Would you read that? Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Okay. So bring my soul out of what? Prison. Prison that I may what? Hmm? Praise thy name. Okay. So what does that mean? I mean, obviously, the person is alive who's saying, bring my soul out of the prison, right? So that cannot be somebody who's dead. Because he's praying, bring my soul out of the prison. Uh, Psalms 142, verse 7. Okay. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so what is that referring to then? So can you see then that, that uh, the preaching was done when? In the days of Noah. To what? To people who were prisoners. 
what were, what, what were the people who were prisoners? And by the way, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 says, My spirit shall not always strive. strive with flesh. So was the spirit of God in the days of Noah? What's the answer? Yes. yes. All right? So when I showed that to that Mormon, he, he got troubled because uh, it didn't match up to what he thought it meant. And so, knowing, knowing the, the answers to some of these texts uh, are very helpful. So, sometimes people are afraid to give Bible studies because they're afraid somebody's going to ask a question. So, anyway, that's why this little book was put together. Now, next time I do the publishing, I'll do it much bigger because a lot of people have complained. Do you have binoculars to look at this? <laughs> but it, it, was, it was first in mind for people who are giving Bible studies, people who are witnessing. But I discovered that it's also helpful for church members because church members stumble over these particular issues as well. Okay? So there you have it. See me afterwards if you're interested in the... Uh, are, are the Great Stories books true? Are the stories in the Great Stories books the true? All of these stories are true. Great. That makes it much easier to preach. <laughs> okay? Uh, I did not choose any stories that are not true because most of the stories, I am the person. Okay. Uh, I might have chosen a few stories that come out from uh, reliable sources. So if you take my book and you try to go in that place where you can find out if stories are true or not, you won't find any of my stories in that place. Okay? So if I was speaking to you in my Yiddish language, I would say this is culture. I'm selling here for $10. Okay. All right. Is that clear? Clear as mud. Which one? Clear. 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 All right. Now let's continue on the subject. How many of you were here yesterday? Can I see your hands? Okay, good. And some of you are new, so you're going to have to uh, get the CDs to catch up and find out what I said beforehand. But I think it'll be pretty clear and explain uh, pretty uh, obvious as we study. We're studying about getting decisions. And this is now uh, one more part of the, la uh, there's two more now and later. We're talking about the reality that when you're dealing with people, people come under conviction. And that people who come under conviction may not know what conviction is. And that's why you, it, you need to put together, if you have not, if you're doing Bible work, or you're studying with people, you should put together a Bible study on who the Spirit of God is and how He works. Okay? How He convicts. The reason for that is that people don't know what conviction is, and then when they come under conviction, they uh, shy away from you because they can't handle that which troubles them. If they're Pentecostals, Pentecostals are taught that if the Spirit is in you, you're happy. And so they begin to feel conviction and that makes them sad. So they pull away from it because they, they uh, associate bad feelings with the devil and good feelings with the Lord. Okay? So when you're dealing with those kind of people, you have to remember that you have to teach them what the Holy Spirit of God does and how the Spirit of God does not always bring good feelings to people. That people do uh, experience bad feelings. For example, how good did Peter feel when he uh, uh, denied the Lord? Terrible. Huh? He felt terrible. Felt terrible. What about Paul? How good did he feel when he was knocked off the horse? Mm. 
Hmm? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so uh, there, there are too many ex experiences in the Bible that reveal the, the reality that, that conviction is not always revealed in positive responses. Uh, that conviction sometimes can be uh, troublesome, especially if you know that you have sin uh, and the conviction comes, it does not bring you peace, it brings you trouble. Is that true? But to a Pentecostal mind, that trouble comes from the devil. And so since the devil has convinced them that that's the way, then they're in the traps. Because when they feel conviction, and they don't understand what's happening, they push away conviction because it is of the devil, not of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, so, uh, let me just show you these two statements here which are important to help you to understand that conviction actually uh, shows up in different ways. Notice this statement. All are not constituted alike. Conversions are not all alike. Notice it says, Jesus impresses the heart, and the sinner is born again to new life. Often, souls have been, have been drawn to Christ when there was what? No violent what? No violent conviction, no soul rending, no remorseful terrors. They looked up upon an, an uplifted Savior and they lived. See, one of the problems that I have is that oftentimes, because I used to play with Bill Haley in the Comets, when I go to Australia, uh, the Bill Haley and the Comets are very, very famous there, very popular there. So when I go to Australia, they want to hear my story. Okay. Well, the problem with that is that when I give my story, there are young people in the audience who have grown up as Christians, who are in the church all their lives, and they can never point to the time when they were converted. See? So they begin to think, well, I guess I'm going to have to get out and get lost so I can get found. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? And the reality is that if you look at this one, what does it say? They just simply what? Looked in, lived. There was no soul rending. That means soul tearing apart, right? There was no violent conviction. My mother-in-law, she'll be 94 on December 25th. And she was born in China to missionary parents and grew up as an Adventist. And uh, she's never had, she told me, I've, I've never had a desire to go out over Fool's Hill. I never had any desire to smoke or to drink or to dance or to, you know, she said, I have always loved the Lord. I've always believed. And she said, I can't point to the time when I was automatically converted, like Paul, etc. I can't point to that. But we're told that that's a reality, that many will not be able to point to the time when they were converted. Yes, sir. Huh? That comes from here. Okay. Notice it says they saw the soul's need, they saw the Savior's sufficiency and his claims. They heard his voice saying, Follow me. And they rose up and followed him. This conversion was genuine, and the religious life was just as decided 
as was that of others who suffered all the agony of a violent process. See? Okay? Do you understand? So just because you may not be able to pinpoint the exact time when you were converted, it doesn't mean that you are not converted. It just simply means that you can't point to that event. Okay? But if you've always wanted to follow the Lord, if you've always decided to do that which is pleasing to God, if you've always wanted to do that which is right, and uh, you've always loved the things of God, then it is obvious that you are converted. You just can't point to the moment, that's all. <coughs> because Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. There you have it. Okay. All right, now here's the opposite. The Spirit of God is manifested in different ways upon different men. One under the... Under what? Moving of this power will what? It will tremble before the Word of God. His convictions will be what? So deep that a hurricane and tumult of feelings seem to rage in his heart. His whole being is prostrate under the convicting power of the truth. Then it says, when the Lord speaks forgiveness to the repenting soul, he is full of utter, full of love to God, full of earnestness and energy. And the life-giving spirit which he has received cannot be repressed. Christ is in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. His feelings of love are as deep and ardent as was his distress and agony. There you have it. All right. Two examples. Paul and John. Is there any evidence in the Bible that John had a, a unique conversion? Yes or no? Is there any evidence in the Bible that Paul had a unique conversion? Yes. 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 We're both ardent preachers. In fact, who lasted the longest? John. John did. Okay. And you go through the Old Testament. Are there any examples in the Old Testament of people who uh, there's no record that they were, quote, converted? Huh? Abraham. Abraham. Who else? Isaac. Daniel. Joseph. Samuel. I mean, there's many, many people like that. Even David. As a young boy, what did he love to do? Did he love the Lord? And I should say this to you. It was at that time that the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Sometimes people don't understand that. And they think that God is saying that David was a man after his own heart once he committed all those horrible sins. No, it was before that that David's heart was like his own heart. Okay? All right, so, but can you see then examples? And then, then you go to a Peter, and you go to a Paul, and... Uh, you, there are several people that you can, you can uh, mention in the scriptures who had a change of heart, a conversion. Saul, the King Saul, 
If you read in the Bible there in chapter 8, I believe, of 1 Samuel, you will see that God says that, that the Spirit gave him another heart. And what? Another heart. Well, if you get another heart, what does that mean? You get converted, yes or no? Yes. yes. Okay. Does that make sense to you guys? So can you see what I'm saying then? There are people who respond to the Spirit of God differently. It depends upon their experience, where they are. So salvation then is an individual thing. Can you see that? It is what? An individual thing. That is why many times we have to be careful not to categorize in reference to people's religious persuasion. Because when you're dealing with, with conviction, it has nothing to do with religious persuasion. It has to do whether or not this individual has a, a, uh, a tendency toward following God or has a tendency to doing something different. Because in the scriptures you see that people come from different walks of life. And even though they come from different walks of life, some, re some yield and some don't yield. For example, you find the, the prostitute that Jesus met who was brought to her and thrown in front of him to pronounce a stoning on her, right? What did Jesus say to her? Go and what? She no more, okay? Uh, so, did she respond? Yes or no? Yes. yes. What about the woman at the well? Did she respond? Yes. Yes. Uh, but then you have the publican, Matthew. Did he respond? Matthew? Yes. The Lord said, follow me. And it said he just left his, his table and followed the Lord, right? So you had publicans. You had uh, people who were of irrepute uh, lifestyles, etc., who followed the Lord. Then you had people who were supposed to be religious people, like the Pharisees, etc. Did they follow the Lord? No. So it's an individual thing, okay? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you always have to deal with people individually. Now, uh, why is it then that you have to watch? Remember we talked yesterday about watching, right? When there's conviction, you have to watch. You have to watch and see if there's conviction. Remember we're talking about the wind blowing? Do you remember? Okay. So as you're given Bible studies, you have to be watching. Right? And you're watching to see if the wind is blowing. If the wind is blowing, it means there's divine presence. If there's divine presence, it means that this person is more liable to yield. Okay? Does that make sense to all of you? All right. So, the reason for watching is because there's a critical time. There's a what? Critical. A critical time. Let me just show you what I'm talking about. Whenever the message of truth comes home to souls with special power, who's there? Satan stirs up his agents to start a dispute over some what? Minor question. Thus he seeks to attract attention from the real issue. See, when people are convicted, people are convicted of sin. Of what? Sin. Of sin. Remember that. He comes to convict of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Right. What happens then is that the devil tries to lead their minds away from the issue to, the, to the debate particular points rather than the real issue is 
that they are living in sin and they need to yield to God for all victory over sin. Now, when I'm saying that, you have to remember this. That if God convicts you that you're violating the Sabbath, it means that you're sinning. So what happens? The devil then gets them to think about uh, that it was a, a day for the Jews. All right? So now they're getting into issues that are superficial. That are what? And the reason for that is that if the devil can get their minds bent around this whole issue as which is the right day and all that, then they're dealing in arenas up here rather than arenas down here. And the real issue is, are you willing to follow the Lord? You remember I was telling you about a certain gentleman uh, who was convicted when I, when I um, uh, was in the meeting. I made an appeal for surrendering to God. He responded and checked off on the card. And when I went to visit him, uh, he began to build up all the reasons why he could not keep the Sabbath. I mean, he was uh, in business, tourism, and for him to keep the Sabbath would mean he'd have to shut down his shop. And in order to shut down his practice or his business, uh, which, by the way, he had 100 employees, so it was, it was, this is not a little dinky business. And so he said, in order for me to do that, uh, I would have to get rid of my employees, close my business, and that would be irresponsible for me. And if I'm supposed to be a Christian, how can I do that? <laughs> well, that's logical, isn't it? Huh? So he's bringing up, so he said, if I do what you're saying I should do, I might as well claim bankruptcy. So who was he saying was asking him to do that? God or me? Me. So what did you think I said to him? I said, if you do what I say or if you do what God says? See, but you've got to bring that back to their minds. Because what's happening? The devil is getting them to think about what? You. And you've got to bring them back to? God. Because they're not dealing with you, they're dealing with God. God. You're only there to help them deal with God, that's all. Okay? So, when I asked him that question, he stopped. And he said, well, if I do what God wants me to do. I said, well, if God wants you to do that, do you think God will give you help? Well, he said, I don't know. <laughs> so he said, I have 13 contracts with 13 hotels. I'd have to cancel all those contracts out. And he said, I just can't leave those hotels hanging. You'll be responsible. <laughs> so where is he going? Huh? To his head. To his head again. So I asked him the question then. Let me ask you a question. What's more important to you? Your business or your salvation? <laughs> See? So what's he doing? The devil is getting him to think where? Up here, right? Head. And what am I trying to do? Get him to think of heart. Yeah. Okay. What's more important to you? Your business, your salvation. Well, he thought, at that time I saw a little tear come to his eyes. He said, my salvation. I said, good. Then turn your business over to God and he'll bless you. Uh, he gave his testimony at GYC last 
last year. How many of you were present there? Okay. And so I had to help him understand the God issue because he was understanding business issues. See? So notice then, the devil tries to bring attention to some minor what? Minor point. So he's a strategist, isn't he? When he senses, when he what? When he senses that people are being convicted. Isn't that interesting? He knows when people are being convicted. And if he can tell, then what about you and me? You see, since the devil cannot read the thoughts, is that true? But he can read the body language. Which means then that if he is able to, you and I should be able to. Exactly. Okay? And I just saw my uh, helper here all of a sudden, bing! It struck, didn't it? Yes. So she's writing it down. All right. I saw her immediately pick up a pen and start writing the thought. Okay? Well, that's the Spirit of God. That's who? Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God works, but the devil also works. And as a strategist, he's always trying to lead people away from the realities. Okay? So if he can get you dealing with all of these points, he's doing that to distract you so you don't deal with heart. And what God wants is the heart. What do you say? The Bible says, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. Okay, so notice then, when I was uh, about to become a Christian, uh, I had this thought come to me. If I become a Christian, I can't have any fun. By the way, in this little book, here's a picture of when I was playing with the vampires. Okay, so I spent eight years in show business. Here's one with Bill Hayden and the Comets. Okay. So when I, when I uh, saw that I uh, might have to become a Christian, the thought that came to me was, if I become Christian, I can't have any fun. Is that true? No. Huh? No. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's more fun being a Christian. Huh? It's more fun. All right, depending on the definition of fun. Okay. Please remember this. The devil knows where you are. Okay? And the only thing I knew about fun was what? Music. Did I know this fun or that fun? Which fun? So, as a Christian, could I have fun? No. Because my understanding of fun was bars and all that. See? And you have to remember this, guys. You have to deal with people from their perspective, not yours. And when somebody says, man, if I become, if I become a Christian, I can't have any fun. You have to say, that's true. If what you think fun is, is drugs and immorality, etc., you're right. But God will give you a different heart so you'll have a different fun. See? You understand what I'm saying? Yes? So the answer is what? 
true. From my perspective. Okay. But once I became converted, then what? Then I discovered that there was true fun. In fact, I remember going to a picnic and, and having a great time with people. And I thought afterwards, I said, man, you can't have fun without drinking. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Hmm? I couldn't believe it. I said, and, and the wonderful thing is you don't have to worry about waking up with a hangover. <laughs> Okay, and for those of you who don't know what a hangover is, it's a horrible feeling, headaches and what have you. Okay. Anyway, you have to remember, guys, as you're working with people, that the devil is trying to use their ignorance against them. Okay. This whole thing of, of, uh, of winning souls to Christ is a spiritual matter. And you have to realize that you're not wrestling with flesh and blood. But you're wrestling with principalities. Therefore, you have to remember that since God's spirit is working on human hearts, there's another spirit that's also working on the mind. So there's that battle. And you are there to help that person understand the issues so that they can make the right decision. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, listen. You have to determine people's perspective, where they're coming from. All right? Here's a statement. Satan does what? He takes how much? All advantage, possible advantage of their what? Ignorance and what else? Inexperience. See? So, as far as that fellow was concerned that I was talking about with the Sabbath issue, as far as he was concerned, he was ignorant about what God could do. And as a businessman, and he's a very shrewd businessman, he was only thinking about what he could do. You see? And knowing how to add two and two together, he knew this doesn't make sense. How can I shut down on Sabbath when I host tourists who come on my jet skis and parasols and what have you, how can I shut down Saturday, which is the biggest day for tourists, and still make it financially? Okay, so he's thinking man's ability. I have to help him to think of God's abilities. All right? Very important. Now, you have to hit the iron while it is what? Hot. You have to recognize conviction. You have to what? Recognize. recognize that there's conviction. And once you recognize conviction, then you have to deal with it. Now, if you don't recognize conviction, then you're in trouble. Many are convicted of what? Sin, Sin and feel... What do they feel? Their need of a what? Sin pardoning Savior. Okay? But they are what? merely dissatisfied with their pursuits and names. In other words, there are some people who are doing okay in life. All right? In other words, they're not having trouble, they're having difficulties, they have a nice house, they have a nice business and all that. And they're, you know, 
they'd like something else, but they're okay. That's what it's saying. Then it says, if there is not a what? Decided application of the truth to their what? Hearts. To where? Their hearts. That's why those stories are important. Jesus always told stories. Why? Because they have a way of reaching not just the mind, but the heart. Okay? It says, if words are not spoken at the right moment. So is there a right time? Is there a right moment? Yes. If words are not spoken at the right moment, calling for decision from the weight of evidence already presented. Here's what will happen. The convicted ones pass on with or without? Without identifying themselves with Christ. The golden opportunity passes and they have not yielded. They go farther and farther away from the truth, farther away from Jesus, and what? And never take their stand on whose side? On the Lord's side. So is there a critical time? So if you don't notice that, see, let me explain to you guys what happens. Most of you who are doing Bible studying are taught to disseminate information. Okay? So you become information disseminators. Now, here's what happens. You begin to think that your role is to get these people through a set of Bible studies. And that somehow, if you can get them through the Bible studies, at the conclusion, they'll say, where's the baptistry? Okay? So you assume then that it is the instrument that does the work. But the problem with the instrument is that the instrument does not have eyes to see or ears to hear or hearts to feel. It is just a cold instrument. Are you hearing what I'm saying? For example, some of you give out CDs or DVDs, Doug Batcher, Mark Finley, and all that. Okay? Now, that does not mean that the Spirit of God cannot bring conviction to people. But it does mean that conviction can surface, and if they do not know what that is, they simply just accept information, but don't go beyond that point. So, rather than have somebody just watch a DVD, it is better if you sit there and watch the DVD with them. So that then you can be pointed directly to them about what they need to do, what to, that which they've learned. If, they, if you don't have that opportunity, then after they watch the DVD, then it is well for you to review it and then make an appeal concerning whether or not they have accepted that in their hearts. Okay? Are you hearing me? Yes. Okay, because otherwise what happens is you assume that the instrument will do the job. All right? But there's a critical time. Notice, notice this. When persons who are under conviction are not what? Brought to make a decision at the earliest period possible, there is what? Danger that the conviction will gradually wear away. So, when conviction strikes, and this is important for you as well as believers, when you're struck with conviction, don't fight against it. Yield to it. Because conviction does not always hang around. 
And remember this, when there is conviction, God, along with the conviction, will provide the power to, to overcome whatever it is that you need to overcome. But when you're convicted and you feel this horrible feeling, uh, you, be, you begin to think, well, I can't do it, I, it's impossible. And you come up with all of these reasons why you cannot yield to God, and you resist. Just by doubting and questioning, you begin to resist. Okay? And what's important is to, to admit and say, I recognize that you're speaking to me, God. Help me to yield. And that's what you have to do with people who are under conviction who don't understand it. That you reveal to them that what's happening and then tell them that they need to pray that God will help them to yield as well as you need to pray for them as well. Okay, here's another statement. Frequently when the congregation is at the very point where the heart is prepared for the Sabbath question, it is delayed through fear of the consequences. This has been done and the result has not been good. In other words, evangelistic meetings, you brought persons all the way through, and finally you get to the place where you are going to present the Sabbath, and some evangelists have backed away from it because they feel, well, I'll lose the, the congregation. And the point is that, that, that these individuals probably did not recognize that there was conviction already, and that it was time to strike. So when you're holding evangelistic meetings, you have to watch your audience. You have to do what? You have to watch your audience, see how they're moving. Is the wind blowing? Because if it is blowing, man, that's the time to strike, okay? But you have to sense. You have to what? Sense. sense. And the Spirit of God will enable you to sense if you ask Him to give you the ability to sense. You have to understand that. Because there, since there's a critical moment, if you don't sense it, you don't realize it, Conviction could have struck, struck at the second study, at the third study, at the tenth study, okay, at any time. And for example, I'll give you an example. We were studying with a couple, a Methodist couple, uh, my wife and I, and uh, he, he was uh, in the Air Force always witnessing to people. And we were trying to give Bible studies and invite them to a meeting. And he wouldn't come, he wouldn't come, they wouldn't come, they wouldn't come, they wouldn't come. My wife would invite them, invite them, invite them, they wouldn't come, they wouldn't come, they wouldn't come. So finally, my wife went over to invite them again. And uh, the husband came home and he said to his wife, you know, he said, it's just too bad that, that you have something good and no one seems to want it. So my wife said, well, now you know how I feel. He said... Oh, she said, I've been inviting you to these wonderful meetings and you, and you haven't come. So then he looked at the wife and said, what are we doing tonight? She said, nothing. All right, we'll be there. So my wife came rejoicing. And as she was coming rejoicing to tell me the good news, all of a sudden it hit her. Oh, no. Tonight is the mark of the beast. Okay. What a night to invite people to your meeting, right? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So, so we knelt down and prayed, and we said, Oh, Lord, you know, somehow if this is not the right meeting, you know, turn them away. If it is, somehow blind their eyes, whatever. But do something, Lord. <laughs> so we took them to the meeting. And the evangelist, Elder Bill May, he's passed away now. He's a great, great evangelist, great friend of mine. And uh, Elder May preached the message, and then he made an appeal. And guess what? The first one to respond was Bruce. Wow. 
he stood up and ran up to the front and wanted to be baptized that night. Yeah. And what happened was that that presentation put everything together in his mind. Everything all of a sudden connected. You understand? And now he understood what the whole issue was and why Christianity was the way it was. And he wanted to. And today he's the uh, uh, head of, of uh, Native Ministries for North American Division. Okay. All right. But when did he come? <laughs> okay. So there are critical times. All right. And when that guy responded that, when he wanted to be baptized, we knew, okay, this guy's ready to what? To be baptized. So we went and nailed it. Make sure that. And you know what's wonderful? As soon as he was baptized, he began to witness to all the others. And by the time we finished, uh, he was on the flight line. He was a sergeant of the flight line. By the time it was finished, all of the guys on the flight line with him were Adventists. Which meant then that the flight line was shutting down on Sabbath. And the Air Force couldn't handle that. By the way, that, that story is in that, that, that book also. And the Air Force couldn't handle that. So you know what the Air Force did? They court-martialed all of them. But you know what happened? They court-martialed them, but couldn't prove anything wrong with them other than the Sabbath. So they gave them honorable discharge. I mean, one was in there only six months. And they got honorable discharge plus credit as though they had been in the military for four years so they could have all the, uh, the uh, education benefits. So most of them are, are working today for God. Okay. Well, that's amazing. All right? So there's that time that's a critical time. What do you say? Yes. All right. So it is as much our duty to look at the what? After interest of a camp meeting, and when she's speaking about camp meeting, in those days camp meeting were evangelistic meetings. Okay? At a camp meeting, as it is to look at, at the present interest. Why? Because the next time you go, if they were what? In press and what? And convicted and did not yield to that conviction, what happens? It is harder to do what? To make an impression on their minds than it was before and what? Cannot reach them again. So is there a critical time? What's the answer? Yes. Must you recognize that critical moment? Yes. Okay. And then you need to move along and know how to do it, which is the next, next class will actually go down to, to the practical, what do you do? Okay? All right. When souls that are upon the point of deciding in favor of the truth are thus left to unfavorable influences, they lose their interest, and it is very rarely that so powerful impression can again be made upon them. Satan is ever seeking some device to call the minister from his field of labor at this what? Critical point. Notice it called what? Critical, critical point. All right, that the results may be what? Maybe lost. Okay. As an interest is about to close up, be careful not to ripen it off what? Too suddenly. So in other words, there has to be then a sense of what's happening. A what? A sense. And you have to develop the sense. And guys, let me say this. You don't develop it all at once. Don't worry about making mistakes. God would rather you make mistakes while you're trying to learn than be perfect, never make a mistake, and never learn. Okay? You hear what I'm saying? I'll give you an example. 
when I became an Adventist, I wanted to go after those guys that I was in show business with, you know. And one, I told my wife, I'm going to go see Manny. Manny was the soloist for my group uh, with the vampires. And so I said, I don't know what time I'll be back, but I'll be okay. It was a bad, bad neighborhood in Brooklyn where I was going. Uh, ghettos, you know, and druggies and gangs and all that. Anyway, I got there about 9 o'clock at night, knocked on the door, and they, the music was blaring so loud they couldn't hear them knocking on the door. So I knew what would happen. There was a long play, you know what I'm talking about? So I knew I'd have to wait until the long play was finished. And as soon as it was finished, knock and bang as loud as I could. And that's what I did. So I banged in and, and he, he came to the door. When he came to the door and saw me standing there, he almost fainted. In fact, he, he began to fall and, and uh, hung on to the doorknob. He said, Louie, what are you doing here? I said, I, I came to see you. Well, come on in. Then he said, no. You know where I'm at, right? I said, yes, I know. I knew they were getting high. That's why they were listening to their music. See? So I've sat with him on the kitchen table while the other chummies were listening to the, to the music. Well, one came out to see what in the world was going on. How come Manny had not gone back into the living room? And he, he got spooked. He heard me talking about God, so he left. Another guy came and got spooked, and he left. The other guy came, got spooked, and he left. <laughs> so all of them left, and Manny and I stayed up to talking until 4 o'clock in the morning. Well, long story short, that Sabbath he was in church with me. The next Sabbath he brought his wife and kids. The next Sabbath uh, they came. And after church, uh, he wanted to go and buy something for uh, a friend who had just had a baby at the hospital. And in my zeal, are you hearing me? In my zeal, I said, no, uh, you shouldn't buy something today. He said, why not? He said, my, my neighbor had just had a baby and I want to buy a gift. I said, well, today is the Sabbath. And we're not supposed to buy and sell on Sabbath. Okay. He said, well, but my, I said, Manny, we'll buy it some other time. He said, Okay. Next week I went to get him, no response to the door. Next week I went to get him, no response to the door. I mean, that was 1960, 1970, and today I still don't know where he is. Okay? So what happened? I tried to what? I tried to wrap him up too soon. Okay? It would have been better for me to just take him to the store, let him buy his stuff, and keep on coming so he could continue to grow. But I, be, I, I assumed that, just, that he had the same strength of conviction that I had. So you learn. You what? Learn. You learn. You think I gave up because I made that grave, grave mistake with him? Huh? No. I couldn't give up. I kept on learning and learning and learning until I got to the place where by God's grace I don't make the same mistakes again. You hear what I'm saying? So those are painful experiences, but if you learn from them, that's what's important. Mr. White says this, if you make a mistake and realize it, notice that, if you make a mistake and what? Realize, realize it. You certainly have gained the victory. She says, because you can guard the mistake as a beacon of warning. 
turn failure into victory, disappoint the enemy, and glorify your God. Amen. Good news, what do you say? Amen. So if you make a mistake, realize and realize it. it, you can certainly gain the victory. Good news. Amen. All right? So you may make mistakes, but that's okay. Now notice our part. Notice our part. As men of what? And you can put women there too, right? As men of spiritual understanding conduct what? Bible studies with them. Then what should they do? Telling them how to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit that they may be fully and firmly established in the truth. The power of God will be revealed. So our role is to do what? To help them to know how to yield. Okay? You see that? Yes. So, you're studying with people, you're watching to see if the wind is blowing, if there's conviction arising by the body language, by the signs, etc. Okay? When you see that the Spirit of God is moving, then it is your point then to let them know that the Lord is speaking to them by asking them questions. For example, I may say, uh, I sense that you feel convicted about that. Okay? Those are, those are questions uh, just to kind of help me to, to determine what's, if they are moving, if they're responding. Okay? Or I may say something like this. You know, as, as we have studied this, how do you feel God wants you to, to move with it? Okay, then I listen. I what? I listen. Because by their answers, tell me whether or not they sense conviction. Okay? In other words, I have to watch for it, and then I have to do something with it. Bring them to the realization that the Lord is speaking to them. And many times people themselves will sense it. They just don't know what it is or how to deal with it. And that's why you have to tell them. Okay? And finally, how do you get a decision? Well, one important point is to ask for it. To what? Ask. ask for it. But listen, God's plan is first to what? Reach the heart. Okay? To reach the heart. Well, it's 10.30, and we need to stop. But the next class, when you come back, we're going to do a practical demonstration here of how you lead a person to Christ. Okay? All right, would you like to see that? Yes. All right. Let's stand and have prayer. And uh, Diane, before you run, let me see you. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.